Welcome to the podcast, everyone. I'm here with Israel Peck of Craddock, and we're here to talk about his startup, Craddock, as well as how we can design culture with AI. Israel, thanks for coming on to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Eric. I'm really looking forward to it, so thank you so much. No worries. I think my first question is, why don't you tell us about Craddock? So first of all, why the name Craddock? Yeah, so Craddock is actually a term from chemistry. Um, it's a root word in democratic and Socratic, which is part of what we do. Um, we democratize culture for teams through the Socratic method of asking questions and opening dialogue. But the word Craddock actually comes from chemistry and refers to kind of a stage in a process where um, when you mix a liquid and a solid together, they kind of go through this reformation phase where the atoms and the molecules kind of reconfigure themselves. And it's usually gritty, kind of a gritty phase. And that gritty phase is called Craddock. And so that's kind of representative of what we try to do for teams is we try to help them go through the kind of the gritty conversations in a really safe and structured format. And that's how we build culture in teams. So that's kind of like the goal of what we're doing is uh, delivering a tool that's um, a software tool that's scalable, that's scalable so that you can use it with a very large team very easily. And it helps teams build community. Um, and by that, we kind of have this pyramid of how we think about that. So it starts with familiarity. We help create familiarity in teams. Um, as they become more familiar, then we try to create opportunities for vulnerability. And from vulnerability, we're able to create trust in teams. And kind of the long-term goal of that is that we're helping teams um, make better decisions together uh, faster. And that's kind of how you, that's how you make culture actually make a lot of sense for businesses. It's super interesting because I mean, your description of Craddock is about the gritty culture um, and, and, and the fact that you kind of associate with like the democratization of culture, because I feel like a lot of people would say, hey, democracy is messy. And it's very true, but you usually yeah. end up with great decisions. So uh, let me ask you this question. Do you think with Craddock, your startup, you're kind of helping organizations, whether they're forming new teams or existing ones, do you view that a lot of organizations kind of stay stuck in this Craddock, in this messy um, in-between versus actually getting a high-performing team from uh, when they're you know, initially together or, or when new people come on board, et cetera? Yeah, so a very interesting question. Like it's, so first of all, it's a, it's a brilliant field. Like it's such an interesting science right now. It combines a lot of psychology, a lot of sociology, and then AI. Like it couldn't possibly be more interesting. But one of the things that I think is really important is that you create a container for these conversations. And, and by that, what I mean is like you create a formal process. And that's what we think of as like this is a process we actually put into a team. I think that part of what makes democracy work is that you have a cycle. So everybody knows that we can kind of argue for a few years and then we're gonna to get to vote and then we trust that process. So what we're installing in teams is a culture building process. So every week the team gets a few questions. That's kind of the gritty part. They answer those questions anonymously. The AI analyzes the answers and then they get together for 30 minutes and they have a conversation and in that conversation, they talk about, uh, the answers are anonymous, but they read the answers together. And so they kind of talk about like which ones they like more and like what things come up for them. And we try to keep it short at like 30 minutes. I kind of have this philosophy that like, 
you don't want to spend all day doing culture. Like businesses have to make uh, make a business work, but people need that space is what we're finding. Like people really need to know that once a week for 30 minutes, they're going to get to kind of talk through some of these elements of their, basically of their norms of their team. And so by having that structured time that's committed, and that's a big part of this is that leadership has to commit. Yeah, we can do 30 minutes a week and we can have these conversations once they have that, we find that like the other time around that is actually a lot more efficient and effective because people kind of get through some of the gritty conversations in that container. Interesting. It sounds like, and I think most people would consider culture those formal processes, those formal traditions or touch points. You're kind of using the, the AI tool that you're building to kind of integrate the informal into it a bit more formally, uh, for lack of a better term, right? Perfectly, so you're kind of like, yeah. Yeah, you're kind of merging the two. Would that be a fair fair description of what, what you're trying to do? I think you're perfectly summarizing it. A lot of, so I used to work as a strategy consultant for six years before this. I did culture transformation programs. And a lot of what we did relied on the formal culture of the organization. And I'll just clarify what I mean. I uh, What I mean when I say formal is, the documentation of the organization. So what is the documented vision, mission, values of the organization, for example? And what, for, like, how do they hire? That's a really important part of the process that we would look at. What is your messaging out to the market? What is your, what are you communicating to people in your onboarding documents and your onboarding pamphlets? A lot of that sets the stage for what the culture of the organization is going to be. And that's all very formal. But what we have all seen, I think, is that, you know, different parts of the business kind of move around that formal structure. Um, and that's the informal part. It's the relationship dynamics that go on inside of the organization. It's the way people talk to each other. It's the way things get done. It's actually kind of the way things get done sometimes during crises. Um, that can be really, really important. So it's a very complex problem, honestly. How do you kind of formulate uh, the informal business around the formal structure that's really complicated and that's where AI has come in and I think actually made the, the problem a lot simpler to the point where you've been able to wrap our hands around it and actually demonstrate that we can, that we can improve, that we can fix the problem. I mean, you mentioned, especially on the informal uh, component, leveraging AI. Uh, do you think um, that AI can, can help with all aspects of cultural design or is it only the informal or is it some some bit of uh, formal or is it both? Like what, what have you experienced so far in that leveraging that um, AI in terms of cultural design? So uh, I'm a huge believer in AI. I'll just come out <laughs> and say that. I believe AI is, is doing a lot of things to solve a lot of problems for humans. Um, I do think that there's, so for example, uh, a few years ago, you might remember there was kind of a battle in the press between like Mark Zuckerberg and Elon Musk, and they went at it, you know, like with, and I now call it like uh, Zuckerbergian AI and Muskian AI, <laughs> like the two schools of thought that became really clear to me in those series of articles that came out, I think it was like 2017, 2018 time frame, mm -hmm. was that um, any kind of computational help that we get from computers. So it could be even a calculator. He seemed to kind of think that like any kind of job, basic tasks that we can give to a computer, that's AI. Okay, well, that's a, kind of a simple view of it. I think Musk's view is a much more uh, kind of futuristic and this idea that like, 
Um, it's about self-improving algorithms. And it's kind of about like the whole globe of like people building solutions that are moving us towards like this frontier of change. And are we ready for that frontier of change? And so I'm, I'm, I'm actually kind of okay with both. Like, I think both are moving uh, at a good pace and I'm happy with what's happening. My personal experience has been mostly with natural language processing. So I'm really interested in how we take language and we break it apart into numbers and we can then analyze the language uh, numerically. And so we use that through our algorithms to try to shape conversations for people. And this is our kind of like, this is our access point into the informal culture is language. Because I kind of believe, well, I deeply believe that the way people talk is really illustrative of what's happening inside the culture. So for example, if I present you with a series of topics and one of those topics is leadership. And every time I ask you a question about leadership, your average answer is more negative than say another company. That would be pretty insightful. That might tell us like this group of people actually struggles with their relationship with leadership. That's kind of an interesting fact to understand about an informal, about an informal culture. So to get to kind of to the heart of your question, I think that AI is able to help us in some of those ways by actually informing us. One of the ways I like to think about it is that AI is really good at, um, I guess I would call it like intrinsic support. So it can give us ideas so that we can understand what's going on better. A good example of that would be like, um, my GPS on my phone. I mean, I don't have to do what it says. So AI can't force me to take a particular route, but it gives me that information. And then with that information, I I'm able to make more informed decisions. We're just doing the exact same thing for culture teams. So if we said, for example, do you know that like these topics actually are bringing up stress points for you guys? Have you ever thought about that? Can we talk about those? Is there a reason for that? These topics bring up a lot of positive language signals. Have you ever thought about that? So it doesn't actually tell them what you what they need to do, but it more informs them so that they're able to make um, more sophisticated decisions about the kind of team that they want to have. So it takes a little bit of the guesswork out, and I, I think it's less about gut and more about hey. Here's some hard facts, but ultimately it's up to the human decision maker to say, hey, I want a team that's built on these positive attributes versus these negative attributes in many respects. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, it's Moneyball. It's, <laughs> it's the same thing. Like people back then, you know, you, if you remember the movie, like, do you remember that yeah. all, all the guys are like sitting around the table and he's exactly. like, oh, he's got a good arm. He's got a good arm. Well, what does that mean? Well, we don't know. And then like the famous line, like we, we care about getting on base. Um, what we think we can do is actually simplify culture like that for people so that leaders can say, we can say, well, we can have that conversation with leaders and leaders can say, I want to have a more um, open team, team dynamic. I want to have that. We have now been able to demonstrate with our AI that we can facilitate that. Within a few weeks, we can very quickly start to create more openness. We do that by asking certain questions, guiding the AI in that direction. And very quickly, like you can start to kind of materialize that. I would say that now the big, um, and we might get into this a little bit later, but what, what we have been, like what we're really passionate about obviously is because we're a SaaS company, we wanna make money, um, mm -hmm. but we wanna make kind of like a certain very specific type of money. Um, we wanna make money by helping leaders figure out how um, supporting their teams in this way is good for their business. 
like with a typical SaaS company, it's it's kind of like you come alongside of a business and you support them um, mm-hmm. in some in some facet of their business. Like a sales SaaS company is a really simple example because um, they if they come in and tell you, you know, we can double your lead generation. Most leaders know what that means. They can double probably our sales and double our revenue. But if I were to come in and tell you that we can double the positivity of your team, uh, leaders don't know what that means yet. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Intuitively, it sounds good. um, But what would it mean to have a more positive narrative in your team? And for people, you know, when they go home and when when they're out with their friends, to have more positive things to say. We don't know yet. Um, this is part of what makes it kind of a really exciting science. It's super interesting you bring that up because I feel like as we redefine work because of the pandemic, that's going to be one of the key things that we need to figure out how to measure. But I want to go back to your comparison of AI. So the Elon Musk versus Mark Zuckerberg. Um, and I think you kind of indirectly mentioned I think there's just been a general, let's say negative perception of AI recently, right? We have, I remember, I can't remember the, the author's name, but she mentioned, you know, wrote the book, um, uh, what is it? Uh, Weapons of Math Destruction, right? Was, was the title, yeah. right? Um, and I wanna ask you, where do you see AI right now? Do you, uh, you kind of mentioned that both the Elon Musk and the Mark Zuckerberg are moving, uh, are moving at a pace, right? Where do you think we are right now holistically in terms of artificial intelligence? Are we moving to more and more towards Zuckerberg or are we moving more and more towards Elon in terms of that holistic uh, version of AI? Or is it somewhere I mean, in between? I think Zuckerberg has already happened. I mean, we all have, we all have massive access to computation, but I think, um, I think it's, obviously that's kind of the foundation, but um, I think it's actually a very exciting time. I think it's probably very early. Uh, I have a prediction I like to make that I think in the if soon we're going to start seeing executive teams at large companies. I, I could see them adding a role like chief AI officer, right? Mm-hmm. Like somebody whose entire job is about helping the business automate elements of the business. There's no reason why we can't do this. And I think AI is actually going to p- play a very fundamental role in this. And it's actually really interesting that, you know, kind of a side trivial comment but with with elon musk kind of he, he obviously beats the drum like he's he's he claims that he thinks that ai is kind of dangerous and like he's a big proponent of the risks of ai that's unchecked but he's also making the first uh human-like ai robots it sounds like <laughs> yeah. so yeah. as much as he believes that there's risk like he obviously sees the potential and he's moving in that direction um, so I kind of think it's one of those things where, uh, where you're at risk with AI is if you avoid it and you don't learn how you're going to start partnering with it. Um, I think the businesses of the future are already embracing it. They're already looking for ways to do it. Um, we talked to lots of innovation leaders at companies where this is a big part of their job is trying to understand which AI um, components or, or tools should be should they be using. That's actually ironically been something that's been a really helped to us is a lot of companies already have an AI agenda. They have an agenda to bring AI tools into their business. And so when they understand that there's now this culture AI tool out there, um, that's really interesting to them. It's interesting you, you bring that up because you kind of use the word tool, but if we take uh, a look at um, 
what you had mentioned previously about leadership and, and leadership leveraging AI to have a positive energy or positive culture, that's something that we still need to figure out. So let me ask you this, it, you know, there is a lot of talk about servant leadership, right? Mm-hmm. Um, do, you, do you view that as, let's say the first step of something, maybe let's call it post-servant leadership, where with the AI technology that you're building with Craddock, that we get a, a new form of leadership that emphasizes you know, a positive collaboration culture, which will be key in order to attract and retain people. Because I think as we've seen with today's um, workforce, the whole great resignation, people are like, well, and I think this, why I asked you the AI question was, well, if I'm gonna be treated like a, a Mark Zuckerberg, where you know a lot of the tasks that I used to do is gonna be automated and I might be at a job, that's the negative perception. We need to figure out how to better integrate and, and have leaders who say, hey, AI is your friend, as you kind of mentioned, um, but how do we do that? And, and do you think we, there's a new form of leadership that's coming into play? So there's a couple of really interesting points that you've touched on here, and I want to try to unpack them and give them, do them justice. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them is that uh, the way that we are starting to think about culture is, is different. It's shifting. Culture used to be very top down. We had executives that set the cultural agenda, they set the tone. And when I think we were in a post kind of like World War II culture where we had a lot of ex-military people running companies, mm-hmm. it was very hierarchical. And having a really um, virtuous leader was very important because that was what set the tone for all the other relationships as they cascaded down the business, down the business hierarchy. When I say business hierarchy, I mean, a lot of the companies I used to consult for had six or seven or eight layers in the organization, starting from the CEO down to the frontline workers. Now you take, for example, a company like Volkswagen, who has 660,000 employees. It doesn't make sense in our, yeah, it's, it's amazing. Like I grew up in a, I grew up in a town of 5,000 people in Montana and the entire population of Montana when I was growing up was 800,000 people. And you have a company that's spread out across the world that's creating tremendous value, has an incredible value chain. But it's, um, it's kind of hard to imagine that one leadership team is setting the entire tone for all of those relationships. I mean, think about how many relationships are going on inside of an organization that large. Mm-hmm. And so what we've done is we've disaggregated this idea down and said, okay, well, you have a formal culture. We, we respect that. And that's very important. What we are focusing on though is teams. These companies are made up of teams, which are units. It's a unit, it's a group of people. It's the people that I work with every day. I have you know, six or seven people that I interact with every day. I don't, you know, when I was a consultant, like you don't interact with the CEO every day, like nobody, a 600,000 person company does. They interact with a, a half a dozen or a dozen people. And those people make up the experience that is the culture to you. That's what you experience. There's that very common adage that people don't leave jobs, they leave managers. And I might extend that to say they don't leave jobs, they leave teams. Like they leave a, they leave a team where they don't feel that they're getting what they need. And so I think that we are at the point and it's becoming very clear with things like the great resignation that people don't need to have any one particular job 
But what they need is they need a group of people where they feel that they have belonging and where they feel that they are valued and they feel that their opinions matter. And that actually kind of gets to this myth that we wrote about, which is that every team uh, culture is different. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, like people need the same kind of things. Like, yeah, they might have slightly different cultures and a few different practices that they, that they entertain, but they still need to be respected. They still need to be listened to. Um, when they put forward an idea, they still need that idea to be appreciated and valued. And those are just common human traits that we all have. And so what I think I've seen in amazing leaders is not only leaders that have the competency and the skill, like that's expected now, like you need to be able to understand the job that you're doing, but they're able to create that sense for their team members that if you put ideas forward, I'm going to appreciate them. I'm going to listen to them. I'm going to take them seriously. We're all going to take them seriously. And we're going to decide together how we're going to handle those ideas. I think that's a very important trait that leaders, any leaders can do. And that's actually what we're seeing happen with our software is it makes people more conscientious about those things. You could call it just emotional intelligence, but that's sort of a simple term for it. It's much more complicated and it does require practice and and some skill. That's a long-winded answer, but I hope I kind of got to what to be to your question. I, th- I think you hit the nail on the head because I, I think you've brought up fundamentally what everyone's looking for nowadays. It's not about, hey, I mean, obviously one part is the financial, but at the end of the day, it's the it's the intangible, it's the empathy that I feel like I belong with, to your point, that team, and then subsequently the larger broader organizational culture. And I think that makes a lot of sense. I think one question, oh, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to add to that. I think they're very closely related, mm-hmm. very closely. I've been in many teams where, and we've all been in a lot of teams at this point, right? Like if you're, if you're at the mile marker that I'm at in my career, you've been in quite a few teams. Those teams where people feel that they have that belonging and they can be themselves and they can contribute ideas, the best decisions get made, the the, the team ends up working out really well. It's not, I'm not talking about like loosing the boundaries. Like we don't have, we're not focusing on work. What I'm talking about is where people make a conscious effort to understand each other and get on the same page. I think it will uh, unquestionably lead to business results. I've seen that. I've seen that many, many times with client teams, obviously with sales, when you're building relationships with people, um, those, those skills have tremendous business value. That's actually part of the problem that we're solving is demonstrating that to leaders. It's interesting. And that was going to be my, one of my questions is that, are you more or less building the, the, the evidence and the foundational framework to make this the next, uh, you know, both of us have MBAs, the next Porter's five forces for marketing, right? It's like in, 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 in your case, it'd be, this is the cratic framework for building great leaders and great teams. So what I'm excited about is that when I left consult, when I left, well, first of all, when I left business school, I had a pretty clear idea in my head of what business was. And then of course, as I went into consulting, I found out all the things I was wrong about, but there were still (laughs) disciplines, right? Like there was, there was focused disciplines. There's sales teams, there's supply chain teams, there's marketing teams, there's HR teams. Like we're all kind of familiar with like who's who in the zoo. But then what was interesting was over the course of my career and I was an operations consultant, we did a lot of cost cutting. 
a lot of headcount reduction. We did a lot of reorging of businesses. What I started noticing was these culture teams popping up. And I was like, what is this? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I never heard about these in business school. Um, it was very weird to me when I first started seeing it. It was like, what is this? Um, but if you go on LinkedIn right now and you look for people and you search for culture manager, you'll find that there's over 22 million people on LinkedIn that have culture manager in their job title. Wow. It's huge. It's, it's, it's a movement and it's happening. So these people are already tapped into this idea. So we're not inventing the idea at all. Um, there's a lot of momentum behind it. Uh, in fact, one of the one of the leaders I used to work with in my old job is kind of uh, well known in the space. Wrote a lot of books on the topic um, that are very well read still today. But yes, like what we think is missing is actually a plug and play solution where you can literally roll it out with a team and within three to four weeks, you start physically seeing and feeling a change in the team. And then over the course of weeks and months, you continue to see it escalate. It shows up in the numbers. It's completely straightforward and it's completely demystified. Unfortunately, while there's a lot of people focusing on culture right now, there's still, I think, a lot of mystery around culture. Um, and that's something that I think can be changed. I think it can become just as straightforward as sales, just as straightforward as supply chain. Those things used to be mysterious at one point too, um, but they're not really anymore. I mean, there's still obviously lots of work in Frontier that needs to be uh, people, somebody, someone, someone out here is like a supply chain expert is gonna be like, oh, what an ignorant statement. Um, there's a lot <laughs> less mystery. Let me say there's a lot less mystery than, than there used to be. Um, at least there, there are concrete elements to it. In culture, not so much. I mean, you'd actually have a really hard time sitting any of those 22 million people down and getting them to agree on what a good culture program is. Like, there's so much variance in how these things are done. Some people think it's buying ping pong tables. Some people think it's feel good campaigns. Some people think it's shout outs on LinkedIn. It could be cards, could be gift cards. Mm -hmm. um, but some of those things are actually, it's, as we found, can work actually against your, your goals. Um, I have been more than aware of many culture programs where they gave out like $5, $7, or $10 gift cards to people where people literally feel uh, insulted. Like, mm -hmm. what are you telling me? Like, this is, this is our culture is that I can go buy one coffee. What they would really probably rather is have a conversation where a leader sits down with them for 30 minutes and just says, I want to understand better what's going on in your life. Um, and I think that that is actually what we are facilitating with our tool is just developing a structured way to do that. That gets you to the uh, familiarity, vulnerability, and trust, which gets you to better decision-making. So it all just kind of fits together in one package. Interesting. Uh, Israel, on that note, I think we're at time right now. So I wanted to thank you again for talking about Cratic uh, and also how, you know, how can we design culture with AI? So I look forward to this and many other conversations with you, I think culture is going to be a, a huge topic, not only post-pandemic, but for the next decade. Thank you so much, Eric. I really appreciate what you're doing here with this podcast, and thanks for having me. This is great.